0: everyone. How are you this morning? Are you good? Yeah, it's a great day here in the house of the Lord. Come on, stand on up with me as we praise Jesus this morning
1: because His grace is amazing. His grace is sufficient and we are here to praise Him.
0: so glad to have you with us today, worshiping, praising Jesus his name.
1: Now it's time for God's love to wake us up this morning and praise him, let him dwell you this morning, giving you all that you need to worship his holy name. Come on, you know this time. I'm not afraid to
2: morning, Crossroads. Good morning. My name is Luke, and this is Luke. Um, So uh, anyway, we're we're thrilled um, and want to welcome you. Uh, We're thrilled that you're all here. Listen, today's a very cool day because we get to honor our high school and our college grads. And so, uh, yeah, we can clap. We're going to be doing a lot of clapping because we're very proud of our grads. And so students, as we call your name, we're asked that you come on up. We're going to read some information about uh, where where you're graduating from, where you're headed, what your future plans are. And then at the end, um, one of our deacons is going to pray over all of our students. So we ask that you guys stay on the stage so we can pray over you and uh, just commit you guys to the Lord as you're on to the next thing. Um, And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pass it off to Luke, our youth pastor. And so Pastor Luke is uh, is going to start us off with honoring our high
3: school grads. All right. Our first graduate is going to be Jordan Barber. His parents are Darren and Tracy Barber. He graduated from Bethel Park High School. And his future plans is to attend Slippery Rock University to study computer science and music. Our next graduate is Eliana Bilsky. She just graduated from Pittsburgh Christian Academy, and her future plan is to attend Penn State uh, to study nursing. Next, we have Reese Eddy. Her parents are Audie and Dion Eddy. She just graduated from Charleroi High School, and she plans to attend Pitt in the fall to study neuroscience. <laughs> Our next graduate is Grace Harmon. Her parents are Anne and Jonathan Harmon. She just graduated from Baldwin High School and she plans to attend Duquesne University to study occupational therapy and to minor in either special education or adaptive technology. <laughs> Next we have Nathan Lawrence. His parents are Jeff and Beth Lawrence, and he just graduated from Ringgold High School. And his future plan is to possibly to become a paid firefighter. Our next graduate is Tyler Love. His parents are John and Melanie Love. He just graduated from South Park High School, and his future plans is to go to KML Carpenter's Union for an apprenticeship in the pile driver division.. <laughs> Next graduate is Hunter Mamie. His parents are Vince and Linda Mamie. He just graduated from Ringgold High School, and his future plan is to continue to play baseball at Waynesburg University as a catcher and to study exercise science. Next, we have Noah Mimittis. His parents are John and Denise Mimittis. He just graduated from Ringwood High School, and his future plan is to go into construction and real estate. Our next graduate is David Mullisay. His parents are Dave and Jen. He also graduated from Ringgold High School, and his future plans is to attend Robert Morris University. Our next graduate is Ryan Agroski. She just graduated from Baldwin High School, and her future plans are to attend Penn State to study agricultural science. Next, we have Enzo Ranallo. His parents are Rudy and Lisa Ranallo, and he just graduated from South Park High School, and his future plans is to go to Kent State University to study cybersecurity cyber engineering. Last but not least, we have Xavier Snyder. His parents are Amy and Jared Snyder. He just graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School and plans plans to attend the University of Wisconsin-Madison to study biomedical engineering.
2: Congratulations, high school students. Good job. Listen, I'm going to be calling up our college students. These are those who are graduating from college and also graduate school. Our first is Sarah Campbell. Parents are Steve and Tana Campbell, and she's graduating from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and her future plans are to continue uh, working in the educational uh, department and school there in Indiana. (laughs) Their next is Dr. Hunter Curry. So his parents are Betsy Backus and Mark Curry. He's graduating from West Virginia University, and Hunter is already in place there in Orlando working at the, in the Clinical Pediatric Pharmacy at Advent Health Orlando. <laughs> Elena DiPietro. Her parents are Beth and Vince DiPietro. She's graduating from West Virginia University, and her plans are to pursue a career in arts education, preferably in a school or museum in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Taylor Parrish. Her parents are Matt and Amy Parrish, and she's graduating from Kent State, and her future plans are to be an athletic trainer at a high school, and she received her Bachelor of Science degree in athletic training. (laughs) Taylor Slagle. Her parents are Mark and Michelle Slagle. She graduated from CCAC Nursing School, and her plans are to be a labor and delivery nurse, and she's going to be starting out as a registered nurse at St. Clair Hospital on Medical Surgery Unit. (laughs) So, these are our high school and college grads, can we give them another hand? So I've asked uh, one of our deacons, this is Dan McNeese, and Dan is going to pray on behalf of these grads.
4: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for um, all these graduates, uh, each and each and every one of them, God. Um, you created them. Uh, you know them. Uh, you created them for uh, your purpose, your glory. God, I pray that they would... Um, Uh, Have a relationship with you, God. Um, There's not many things that uh, last in this world, but a relationship with you is something that lasts forever. I pray that they would be lights uh, wherever they go and um, whatever they do. And, uh, God, that your hand of uh, blessing would be upon them and that they would would, uh, stay with you through the good times and the bad times. Uh, We know you're an awesome God. Uh, You're so faithful, so loving, and um, we just pray, um, God, that that your love would surround them um, on their next step of life and for the rest of their lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Congratulations, guys. You can have a seat. Well been a good morning so far hasn't it been crossroads it's exciting this is exciting i love celebrating our grads and listen college high school all of our students you mean so much to us and we are praying for you on this next journey of life and please you always have a home here and so even now you might travel out of state to go to school please know that there is a home this is your home church and so we can't wait to see you guys on breaks and whenever we get the chance to see you and those that are local we get the extra privilege of seeing you a lot more so we're excited about our college and high school grads congratulations guys uh, church, I want to let you know that as we uh, keep going into summer, you can see that in the Bulletin there's all kinds of really exciting activities and different events and things that are coming up. But again, all these things that we're doing here are to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's why we do these things. Um, and so one of the things that we also do is we we just we, we, we welcome all of our guests. We welcome all those who are or maybe come to support grads today or checking out the church for the first time. We're thrilled that you're here. It really is a privilege of ours, and it's our honor. So please stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. We also would love to talk to you and to connect with you. So please, all of our guests, please stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, On June 4th, uh, we're going to be going on to our next class. This is 201. And so uh, if you've been to membership, to to the Next Steps class, the next step after that, the next class is Class 201. And so this is um, a a small class that's going to start on June 4th. And this is going to be um, a class that's all revolved around helping you understand what it means to be a growing follower of Jesus Christ. And so if you've been to that membership class, you can email me, and that information is in the bulletin. And you can jump into that class starting on June on June the 4th. And then the Mama Bear Apologetics uh, study is going to be on June 7th. You can register online and see some more information online. And so that's going to be 6 to 8 p.m. On, starting on June 7th. And then also on... Um, Uh, I want to let you guys know that on June 15th is going to be our VBS volunteer meeting, and there's also going to be one on July 6th. So if you would like to be a part of the team that serves at our mega sports camp, our our Vacation Bible School, uh, Chrissy, our director of children's ministry, is going to be in the lobby. And so if you have any questions, you can grab her at the table and also sign up to be a part of the team uh, serving at at Vacation Bible School which is going to be july 10th through the 14th and church there's all kinds of information in there our upcoming movie nights as also the picnic uh, in august and so please get all those dates on your calendar and uh, we look forward to sharing more details as things come up but we thank god for all that he's allowing us to be a part of would you stand uh, guys with me as we go the lord in prayer and just thank him for this morning and we just commit the rest of our time to him Um, I also want to say thank you, church, for being faithful and giving and worshiping him through your finances and just worshiping him by uh, giving into him. You can give through the mail or you can give online or using the offering boxes here at the church. Lord, we love you. And um, Lord, we just pause and just focus on you. We thank you for these grads, uh, the high school in the college and graduates. Uh, graduating from graduate school, God, this is truly a privilege to be able to see um, just the the next generations rise up and and seek your will for their lives. And as Dan has already prayed, um, the most important thing is to have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray that for all of us, that we would ask ourselves that question, do we know you personally today, right now? And so, thank you uh, for allowing us to be here. We thank you for everything from the music, Lord, to uh, being able to celebrate these grads, and, and then here in a minute to be able to open up the Word of that Your Word, to be able to open up the Bible, and to understand what we should be—not just doing in life, but this, this this life of of change, this life of um, purpose and meaning that we can find by trusting you with our lives and following you. So, Holy Spirit, move in this place, and when we walk out of here feeling closer, challenged. Um, convicted and also just inspired, Lord, to, to go out and change the world and to be that light um, as Dan prayed just a minute ago. Um, I pray that for all of us in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Please, as Ken comes on up.
5: I'm so thankful for all of our graduates out there and what God's doing in their lives. Isn't it wonderful to have a church filled with young people? It really is. I mean, we have people of all generations here, but I'm so thankful for our young people. Uh, those, those are the people that are going to go out and change the world. And we're so happy about these young people, what God's doing in their lives and how he's going to, he's giving them different gifts and different talents and all these things that God's going to use you guys to go out and do. And so we applaud you and we're so thankful for for what you guys are going to go do. You're going to turn this world upside down for Jesus. And so no matter where you young people go, uh, no matter where God takes you, take God with you. And God will, God will go before you, he will be with you, and he'll go behind you. And you guys, I'm gonna, I can't wait to hear what God's going to do. Because he's already using them. They're already serving. Man, I saw two of them from our band was in there, you know. And it's, it's just awesome seeing, seeing all the young people that God has. Let's thank God again for our young people in our church, man. What a wonderful church. <clears throat> We're in our series, But God, and as we look at the, the statements, But God, we've been finding there's typically a, uh, something that happens, and then But God. We see something negative that happens, But God. So there's all these issues, But God steps in. Today we're going to look at a But God statement from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. And as we look at this statement, we're going to find that it's embedded right in the middle of the passage, but it, but it also shows us a little bit that we can see uh, about the topic of confession, And, you know, when you think of confession, the word that comes to my mind, I think of this phrase, confession is good for the soul, right? You've heard that before. And typically when you think about confession is good for the soul, you think of some little kid. You know, he's been cheating on the test. And the teacher finds out. So the teacher says, Johnny, did you cheat on the test? And Johnny says, no, I didn't cheat on a test. And the teacher says, Johnny, if I find out that you took took your notes, that you took the answers from Sarah who was sitting next to you, You know, you're never going to have recess again. Uh, Okay, I guess I did cheat a little bit. I did take one or two answers, right? So that confession is good for the soul. He has to get it off there. Um, We're going to look at true confession from the Bible. Um, Confession is good for the soul, but it's not good for the soul because, oh, it's some self-help thing. It is good for the soul because of what God has given us in his word. And when you understand what true confession is, And we're going to see this by God statement. When you put it all together, it is a powerful, powerful thing. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. And what Nehemiah chapter 9 is, it's a very long worship service. It's a national worship service. All the nation of Israel has come together, and they're worshiping God. Um, It's a record of fasting. It's a record of repentance, a record of prayer, followed by a covenant over in the next chapter, chapter 10. Um, As you look at this Book The book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is known for rebuilding the wall. The first eight chapters of the book of Nehemiah extensively goes into how they rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt it in record time. And uh, it's a fascinating study. And many years ago, we did a study on the book of Nehemiah. But uh, in chapter nine, Nehemiah shows us not only did God have to rebuild the wall, but he had to rebuild worship. He had to rebuild their heart. You see, whenever your heart has gone cold, this is the problem. And so the nation of Israel, they went through the motions for years, and then they went cold. And so their heart was disengaged from God. God needed to now bring back worship. The walls is one thing. You know, we can see this, and this this can happen so easily in the church. There are things that you can see, but what has to be dealt with is the heart. I can build a building. I can pave parking lots. We can do all these type of things. But what we have to do is we have to get the heart to where we are worshiping and we're responding to God. And this is what he was calling the people to do. God was, God was bringing the people back. And so as they had made their journey back, the city had been in ruins. They had disobeyed God. God allowed them to become captives. And then whenever the Persians took over, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. Then when the Persians took over, they end up letting letting Nehemiah go back and let the, let the people return to their land. And as they go back, they find the plunder, they find the disaster, they find everything has been taken down. They build the walls. Now God says, I must build worship. And so as you jump into Nehemiah chapter nine, you find that that this is an extremely long worship service. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. This was a position of humility. They're stopping in their, their humility. You know, folks, if you want to be intimate with God, if you want to have a close relationship with God, it requires humility. The New Testament says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't get a close relationship with God with pride. You don't get a close relationship with God by telling them all the good that you've done and by even trying to manufacture and to do things. You see, the, the nation of Israel, they were, they were even doing things. They were serving. But, man, they had to go deeper than serving. They had to get the heart to worship the Lord. So this was a self-humbling. They were fasting. You know, when you fast, you get, it gets your attention. Have you ever noticed that? You skip a meal, and you're, you're thinking about something. Typically, my first meal I miss, I'm thinking about pizza, right? That's what you're thinking about, right? So you have something that's on your mind. You fast long enough, you'll begin to think about God. And this is what they did. They said, we're directing our heart and our attention towards God. And, uh, and the, the sackcloth and ashes was the outward sign of their... It, it showed people that, hey, we are in a, in a period of mourning. And what were they mourning? They're grieving their sin. And that's something that is a lost art. You don't hear people talking about that in in our world. As a matter of fact, most people want you to forget about your sin. They want you to salve it, and they want you to feel comfortable in it. But God says, I love you too much to let you feel salved and feel comfortable in your sin. I am going to allow you this gift of confession. Verse 2, then those of Israelite lineage, they separate themselves from all the foreigners. Now, that's the second thing if you want to have an intimate relationship with God. You have to separate yourself from the foreigners. Now, that doesn't mean in our world, like, uh, you know, from somebody from another country. This is talking here. There was a special commitment, a special covenant that God had with the nation of Israel. So the children of Israel, what they did was they separated themselves from those that didn't. And this is what has to happen. We have to separate our heart unto the Lord. Holiness, the word holy just means separate. God is so holy. He's so separate. And so whenever we're going to get close to Him, we have to get separate. We have to separate ourselves from the world and get alone with God. You can't love the world and God at the same time. I mean, I have love for the world. God so loved the world. But I can't love the ways of the world and love God's ways at the same time. So the Israelites, they separated themselves from the foreigners. They stood and they confessed their sins. That's the next thing. You've got to confess your sins. If you want to get get a close relationship with God, you have to confess your sins to God. Now, I'm thankful today that the Bible teaches, excuse me, the Bible teaches that you do not have to confess your sins to another human. Um, I'm so glad that you don't have to come and confess your sins to me. Um, I don't have enough time, um, you know, and I don't have enough emotional energy. And listen, I have to confess my own sins before God. So what good would it be for you to confess your sin to me unless you have offended me personally, right? So this is where God says here, look, confession is so important that you come before the Lord. You know, if you hold a grudge on somebody, you hold a bad attitude on somebody, we got to get that stuff out. Because what happens is when you hold a grudge on somebody, it affects all relationships. And God says, I'm giving you this wonderful gift, this confession, you get to confess it before me and then he gives you the ability to let it go horizontally. You deal with it vertically, then you can deal with it horizontally. And as you do this, man, your life changes. You, you, get, the, you get the joy of the Lord. Um, he says they, they, they separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And we're going to see here this, this passage is really a long, long prayer. And he goes through all of history. He goes back from Adam and Eve all the way down to where they are now, and he talks about how the, the the people of God walked away from God. They stood up in their place. Verse 3, they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord for one-fourth of the day. They read the Bible. They got into God's Word, and they read the Bible, what, the portion that they had at that point. They read the Bible for one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth of the day they confessed and worshipped The Lord, their God. There's, there's your, there's more steps there. If you want to have an intimate relationship with God, you've got to have His Word, and you have to worship. And sadly, many people want to come to worship without confessing. Many people wonder sometimes, why didn't I get anything out of church? Well, maybe you have some, some things that need to be confessed. Maybe you've got to let go of some things before you and the Father, and you've you got to get right with the Lord. See, because you can't worship the Lord until you've dealt with things. And so this is what God's called the nation of Israel to do, and this is what he's called us to do. And, and as you look at this, why were they grieving? Because of the problem of sin. And I want you to consider that. That's our problem, too. Our problem. We have a problem, and that is sin, and it is failure. You know, whenever you look at your sin and your failure, it's easy to blame everybody else for your problems. It's easy whenever there's sin, you can, you can say, well, that person didn't treat me right. That person's mean, this, but whatever. And listen, in the meantime, I've got this sin issue that I have to deal with. And God says, you've got to come before him and you have to confess your sin. Uh, the people of Israel, they had failed. And as you look through the scripture here, you'll see it over and over and over that they were dealing with this. And, and we're going to walk through just part of it. It's the longest prayer in the Bible from uh, verse 5, Nehemiah 9, verse 5 through verse 38. It's the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And so what he does, he goes through all these issues that they had. And what they were doing, they had to the sackcloth and ashes because they were sorrowful over their sin and they were coming to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so here's what happens, many times people will get in a state of sorrow over their sin, but they don't repent. And that's what the second half says, sorrow of the world produces wealth. I uh, produces wealth, produces death. Man, I'm man, that's pretty good, huh? That is uh really something happening with my eyes. Sorrow of the world produces death. And so whenever you think about this, you, you, you know, if you just come and you look at your, your sin, look at your addictions, look at your habits, your, look at your pride, look at the things that are so easily tripping you up, the things that you're holding so tight and angry about half the time because it's a sin you're holding on to. If you just start to get sorrow over that and nothing else, that leads to death. That, as a matter of fact, it will depress you. You'll be overwhelmed. It'll be a dark way to live. God says that godly sorrow produces repentance. So here's what happens. I'm coming along and I'm going my own way. Repentance means, the word repent means to change the mind. And so why is it so important to change the mind? Because when you're going in in this direction, to go the opposite direction, you now have to change your mind. And so for even, just think about this physically. If I'm walking... That direction there. I'm walking towards the parking lot. And as I'm walking there and I say, okay, I'm going to, I, I want to go the opposite way. First, for me, the mind has to be engaged. The mind has to tell this foot to move. And for me, it's a little complicated because my knees aren't the best. And so I say, oh, there's obstacles. And I say, okay, I'm going to pivot. Learn that in basketball. And then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk this direction, I'm going to go the opposite way that I was. Now, here's, here's what has to happen. If it's going to be godly sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance. So, I'm looking at my sin, and it's really bothering me. I take it to the Lord, and it produces repentance. That means to have an about-face, and I'm no longer going my way, but I'm going God's way. Repentance without devotion to God becomes isolation. God didn't want us to just be an isolated people and be over here just not doing bad. He's saying, look, this was, the reason that this is so bad is because it's so against God. It's so against the God that you love, the God who died on the cross, who paid everything for your sin. And he says, godly sorrow will produce repentance, which leads to salvation. And repentance is not a fun word. Many people don't like to talk about repentance in our world today. Um, and why is, why is repentance so important? Uh, many people are afraid of the word repentance. It's, it's, an, it's a scary word. Well, I'll tell you, there's a word that's even scarier, and it's the word hell. Jesus himself said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, God didn't love you enough that, you know, God didn't love you and say, just stay there and stay comfortable and you'll be happy, you know, and everything's just wonderful. He says, no, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me because you're going to be devoted to me, there's something you're going to leave behind. It's like whenever I first started to date my wife. When we were newly, you know, when we were young kids, I met her and I started dating her. I didn't go to her, you know, and, and I had to repent of other things, right? I had to repent of dating other girls. I couldn't go to my wife and say, hey, you know, I'll date you every day but Tuesday because that's my other girlfriend's day. How do you think that would have won over? And this is what happens with people with God. Many times people say, well, you know, I got all this, but, but this is an area over here. God says, no, either I'm your Lord or I'm not. Either I'm your master or I'm your savior or I'm not. So I want you to have an about face and I want you to be devoted to me. So when I began to date Rhonda, there was a devotion that took place. And I became radically devoted to that woman, and I still am. We're going to be married 30 years here in a few weeks. It's like we, gave, yeah, we gave our we gave our radical devotion to each other because you know of all the women in the world, I chose her, and of all the men in the world, it was clear I was the only choice for her. You know what I mean? So it's like as you make that choice. But look, when you that's what repentance is. When we're following God, you're going one direction. And it's clear there's only one choice, and he is God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. So I'm not going to follow my ways. I'm not going to follow the ways of the world. I'm going to follow God's ways. This prayer in the, in the book of Nehemiah, you can read it later at your own leisure because it's lengthy. Um, it, is, it includes 20 sins of the nation of Israel, but yet 74 facts about how good God is. 20 sins, 74 facts of how good God is. God is the subject matter. Don't miss that. As you're coming to confess to the Lord, God is the subject matter. See, this is why confession is so good for the soul, because God is the subject matter. As you look at it, this prayer deals, first of all, with who he is, who God is, what he does for his people, and what his people must do for him. And I want to encourage you, as you're reading the Bible... Look at every passage like that and ask yourself, what did I just learn about God? What, did he see? what do I see that he's done for his people, and what does he want me to do? And it's real simple, and it's in that order. First of all, what is the character of God? What am I seeing about the character of God? Many people just read, and they don't even know what they read. Ask yourself that. Man, I just read a chapter from the book of Ephesians. What do I see about God? What's his character? What do I see that he's done for his people? And what do I see that my response is? Leonard Ravenhill once said that the self-sufficient do not pray, the self-satisfied will not pray, and the self-righteous cannot pray. The prayer that we see in this passage is totally opposite of that. This prayer is all about humility. It's all about an attitude of heart. It's all about a, a, a person, uh, about a people that have come and they've gotten, they've gotten a real touch from God. They weren't playing church anymore. As a matter of fact, those people had totally abandoned all things, and that's what happens. You, you go through this process. you can get to the point where you're playing church pretty soon, you won't even play church. you just totally abandon God. That's where the nation of Israel was. The main lesson that you can learn from this passage is that failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. You may have had failure in your life. You may have had people that have failed you. You yourself may have had a lot of failure, and it isn't final. Your sin, the sin that has so easily beset you, is not final. God has the final word, and God has the open door for your future. And so you may have had an issue. You may have made some tragic decisions in your life. You have, uh, you have, may even be struggling with decisions that you make today with habits, with hurts and hang-ups that you deal with. But let me tell you this, failure isn't final. Nehemiah 9.15 says that you gave them bread. So he's praying to the Lord and he's telling God. And look at some of the things that he confesses. Uh, and this is Ezra, by the way. He's praying this out loud to the, to, to the Lord in front of the congregation of the nation. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks and they did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that that you did among them. They hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Jump down to verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They cast your law behind their backs and they killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great, provoc- they worked great provocations. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them and in their time of trouble when they cried to you, you heard from heaven and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies then after they crossed into the into the promised land look what he continues here verse 28 but after they had rest they again did evil before you therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them yet when they returned and cried out to you you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercy He's coming, they're coming, and they're saying, Lord God, we've sinned. God, we've sinned over and over. We've hardened our hearts. God, we've sinned. And they're coming back, and what God was doing, not only was he rebuilding the wall, he's rebuilding the worship of God. The people's hearts had to be dealt with, and it must be dealt with. You'll never be able to get close to God when there's sin in the way. And the problem is that we've all got the sin issue to deal with. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages, uh, sorry, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Every one of us. There's not one person who's not. Uh, Paul said it over in Romans 5. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And I wrote in my notes, thank you, Adam. See, because of Adam's sin, we're all born into sin. We are all sinners. So from the day you were born, you're a sinner. And, uh, and it, it, we are, you're prone to do the worst things that you, can, that you didn't even think you could do. Listen, Adam understood this in the Garden of Eden when he took that first sin. And then here we are, the rest of us. We're in the downline of sin, and we are born as sinners uh, just as through one man's sin entered the world, death through sin. So we all have to deal with this. We have to deal with the sin. And thanks be to God that God sent, sent the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sin. But, you know, when if you go to tell a little kid, don't touch that outlet over there. And I've told you this before. You tell a little kid, don't touch the outlet on the wall. He's two years old. What's he going to do? He's going to go touch the outlet. And he's going to lick it. And then you're going to be really mad because you just told him ten times not to do it. And it's just in his character. Um, sin. The Bible talks about sin six, over 600 times in the scripture. More than 600 times the word sin is mentioned in the Bible. Ephesians 2.3 says that we were by nature children of wrath. Before you came to God... You were by nature, and every one of us, our human nature is children of wrath. We're, we're fallen, just as every human is. I was reading about a little tale about a scorpion and a turtle. And the scorpion found Mr. Turtle one day. He went over to this un, unsuspecting turtle, and he said, Mr. Turtle, would you give me a ride across the pond? And the turtle said, you've got to be kidding me, right? You're a scorpion. You're going to get on my back? And I'm going to make it partway across, and then you're going to sting me. And I'm going to drown, and I'll die. And the scorpion said, well, there's not much logic in that. If I were to sting you and kill you and drown, I'm on your back, and then I would drown as well. So that's not much logic. So the turtle thought it through, and he said, yeah, you're right. That isn't very good logic. Hop on my back. And the the turtle begins to take the scorpion across the middle of the pond, and halfway through, sure enough, the scorpion reared that tail and zapped the turtle right in the neck. And as the turtle the turtle began to start to feel the venom go through it, the poison go through its body, started sinking down slightly, he reared his head back and said, Do you mind if I ask you a question? Scorpion said, Sure, go right on ahead. He said, Didn't you just say there's no logic in stinging me? So why did you do it? And the scorpion said, it had nothing to do with logic, dear turtle. It's just my nature. And that's exactly what it is with the sin nature. We, it is in eight, we sin, and we have to deal with this all the time. But thanks be to God for the cross. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah said it like this. He said, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, you can look at your own life. You can look at somebody that you thought was a good guy, and they're a bad guy. He says, Look, the heart is deceitful. Your your heart is desperately wicked. Look at the desperately wickedness. That word desperate means dead and incurable. You could read it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is deadly. It is incurable. Who can know it? Who can figure this out? Most people think, well, I'm a pretty good person and that people in general are pretty good. Well, God says, no, your heart is desperately wicked, and we are prone most to do the things that you don't want to do. That's why Paul talked about this in, in 1 Corinthians. He, uh, um, uh, yeah, I believe it First 1 Corinthians, maybe it's Romans. Romans chapter 7, where he talks about the good that I want to do, yet that I don't do, versus, you know, he talks about the struggle. I, I, I want to do good, and I don't do it. I end up doing the bad that I don't want to do. And so this struggle comes back and forth for us as a believer, because we get got this heart issue. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of that sin once for all forever. And so we get now this relationship with God that that he keeps the relationship with us. You can't keep the relationship with God. He keeps it. He's the one who's called you by name. He's the one who's chosen you. He's the one who is, is keeping you in, in, in his hand. You're not staying in his hand. He's keeping you in his hand. And so as you come before the Lord, we've got to look at this and say, man, I've got this struggle. But thanks be to God for what he has done. And he's given this gift of confession. Back to Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 17. Um, they refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders, they did not uh, that they did among them, that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. And here's the but God statement. The verse continues now. But you are God. Read it with me. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness... And did not forsake them, and so there's our but God moment. Man, you're looking at your sin, and there's a woeful moment. You're turning to God, and, and even in the prayer of Ezra here, prayer, he's praying. He says, God, our people have screwed it up for years, for forty years. We messed this thing up. We we just keep, but you keep loving us. You keep coming back to us. But you are God. You are ready to pardon. That means to forgive. He is, he is relentlessly seeking to forgive us. He is gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful. Those are two traits that work together. Let me explain grace and mercy to you. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve to go to hell, the Bible says, because of our sin. Mercy is, God says, I'm not going to send you there. Grace is he gives us the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. So on one hand, mercy, you don't get what you deserve. The other hand, you get this grace. And not only does he give you heaven, but he gives you life, an abundant life that starts now. You go from being a dead person to an alive person. I mean, this is incredible. Uh, Let me explain it to you like this. Many years ago, my kids were little. I, uh, I had gotten pulled over by the police right in front of my house. That's a great place to get pulled over. It was a few days before Christmas. not a good time to get a ticket. And I was like, "What did I just do?" And the officer pulled, over, pulled me over right in front of my house before I could turn into my driveway. The lights come on, and he come out and he goes, "Do you know why I'm pulling you over?" I was like, "No, sir, I don't have a clue." He said, "Because you ran the stop sign." I said, "Well, I kind of stopped." He goes, "That doesn't count. You know, that rolling stop you do when it's in your own neighborhood? I was like, I didn't even see you. He goes, but I saw you. I was like, okay, thank you, right? So, so uh, we have this discussion, and he writes me a ticket, and I get this great Christmas gift of a hundred-some-dollar ticket. I just take it and tell my wife, Merry Christmas, you know? And so what did I do? I took it to the magistrate. I went to the magistrate. You know, at the bottom it says you can do this and that, so I sent it in. And I've been to the magistrate a few times through the years. They, they've met me a few times. Not for anything major, just speeding and traffic violations, right? So, but I, I, uh, you can look it up. I think it's all public information. You can find everything I've ever done, right? So, um, I go over there to the to the magistrate, and the magistrate's looking at me, and he says, "Well, what do you want?" I said, "Listen, I just need a little bit of mercy. Um, I really don't have an extra hundred bucks. We just got through Christmas, and I went through the whole story." And he goes, "All right, you're off." I'm not even gonna give you points for this and whatever that he was supposed to give me. And I didn't have to pay. He says, But I don't want to hear I don't want to see you back here. And you know, the next time I had to come in, in disguise. I don't know, I know. But I, I he says, I wanna see you back here. I want you to learn from this. I was like, Yes, sir, and I and I walk out of there. That was mercy. Now, if he were to give me grace at the same time, that magistrate would have said, Hey Ken, not only am I not making you pay that hundred dollar fine, but here I'm going to write a check for you. Here's $200 because you probably need a little bit more for your Christmas gifts seeing as your wife's scared to death right now, right? And so if he would hand me a check for $200 instead of me owing him the hundred, that would be grace and mercy. And so this is what God is. You are God. You are ready to pardon. You are gracious and merciful both at the same time. And I always say that was in one hand and on the other hand on the cross. He laid down grace and he laid down mercy when Jesus died and paid for your sin. He's slow to anger. He is abundant in kindness. He is not sitting here and saying, man, I'm going to destroy you because of your sin. He took the wrath out on his son, Jesus. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. So as a believer we still got to deal with the sin. We got to deal with our attitudes, our habits, our hang-ups, our bitterness, our grudges, all this stuff we have to deal with all the time. And the way that I deal with it to help me relationally is I got to come before God. You can't just walk away from things. You can't hide. Listen, don't don't try to hide from these things. Come and get alone with God and as you meet with God, let God really heal you. Like I think some people just want this much of God. God says, "I can do exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or think." Some people just say, "Well, oh, I prayed that prayer as a kid, so I'm not going to hell." Really, that's all your life is—just not going to hell. I've got—I've got a lot, hopefully, a lot more years here, and I want to enjoy the joy of my salvation. And so, as you enjoy the joy of your salvation, you begin to see this because of these about God statements. You see, the the love of God is relentless for you. And that's that's what he's praying here. He says, but you, oh God, you're ready to pardon. So God is bigger than our failure, even when we fail. Even when we fail. That's point number three. God is faithful even when we fail. God is much bigger. He's even faithful when we fail. Not only is he bigger than your failure, he's faithful even when we fail. And you know, we're going to fail a lot. And that's what the love of God is. John said this in 1 John 3.1. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that He has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Man, this, this, this love that God gives us. And so what are, what are we supposed to do? We've got, we've got to enjoy the love of God. Uh, if you go and you can look this up later on, Jude, it's one chapter, verse 21. It says this. It says to keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves. Behold what manner of love. The f- we can't believe this. We can't even comprehend it. As was praying, God, we left you over and over and over. But every time we called out to you, you took care of your people. God, we don't understand this, but we're coming back. We're repenting again. Sometimes it's the same things. We keep repenting. We're coming back. God, change our hearts. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord. I, um, I want to liken the love of God to the sunshine. It's always there, isn't it? The sun is always there. And when you go out there and you sit in the sun, you begin to feel the warmth. I want... Um, I went to an outdoor graduation here, and I sat at the outdoor graduation, and uh, as we were getting out of the car, uh, my wife said, don't you want to take your hat? It was in the middle of the day, two in, two in the afternoon, and I said, no, nah, I want to look you know, respectful and all that, so I didn't take my hat, and I wasn't going to sit out in this direct sunlight with a hat on. So we get out there, and I was like, it's only 70, we'll be fine, and I'm sitting out there, and about six minutes into it, all of a sudden, I start to swelter. And I don't have much covering up here. And it was sweltering. And I was like, okay, i got to do something. So here's what I did. All I had was the program. And I took the program. I'm sitting like this. And then I went like this. And then I went like this, okay? And my wife's like, you're embarrassing me. I said, I know. Everywhere we go, I embarrass you. Don't worry about it. And so what I did was I, I, was, I was blocking the sun. And I'm telling you, when I put that up, it was like 15 degrees cooler underneath there. Amazing. From one little program, I'm sitting there going like that. What I really needed out there was like an umbrella, right? I needed to take this umbrella out and like, uh, you know, this is, you gotta be old to do this, right? You know, but that's what I needed to do, right? I need to be sitting here like this because whenever this is in the way, it blocks the sun. And this is what happens in your life, folks, when sin gets in there, whether it's an attitude, an action, something that nobody even knows that's between you and God, and you haven't taken it before God, this is what happens. And the warmth of God's love is missing in your life. This happened for David in the Old Testament. He sinned with Beersheba killed a man. He did all kind of crazy stuff. And he was living like this. He was living in the darkness. And he cries out to the Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And folks, here's what happens. Whenever you're walking and you're blocking God, your sin is blocking you from the Lord. Oh, but I'm going to heaven. I trusted Jesus as as my Savior many years ago. Well, there's a thing called sin that happens every day. And 1 John 1.9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you want to feel the warmth back in your relationship with God, you want that closeness back in that relationship with God, here's what you got to do. You have to confess. And confess just means to say the same thing. And so what you do is you say, God, you know what? I'm going to say the same thing that you say about my attitude. God, you said that my attitude is disrespectful towards those around me. It's disrespectful towards you. God, I'm hurting my family because of this. God, I admit that I have offended your holiness. And God says, okay. And he says he's faithful and just to forgive it. And you know what I have to do? I have to do that every day. Because there's an issue that comes up in my life every day. Whether it's an attitude, an action, a thought, impure anything. And I, sometimes I have to do it multiple times a day. Sometimes I go home, I'm driving in the car, I'm like, Okay, Lord, forgive me for my attitude. I lost my temper. And God takes it. See, it's not remorse. Remorse would be crying about it. I said the same thing. God, I agree with you. That's what confess means. It's a Hebrew word. It means to say the same thing that God says about your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And as David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And as God moves that out of the way... I'm enjoying this relationship with God. But you, God, are merciful. You are God. You are ready to pardon, to forgive. You are merciful and gracious. And you're always kind, always abounding in kindness, even when I fail. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I realize this is heavy because there's something in all of our lives that always needs confessed. And I don't know what they are. You do. God wants you to get along with him and to call upon him and to trust him. To confess that if you're a believer here today, you've been following Jesus, I want to encourage you to say the same thing that God says about your sin. Look at it head on, but look at God head on. Just like in that passage, you go home and read Nehemiah 9, you'll see over and over how bad they were, but how good God is. And when you begin to truly confess in your life, you'll begin to see how bad you are, but how good God is. And he'll remove the block. He'll remove the barrier and restore to you that relational, that relational walk with Christ. And you'll enjoy the warmth of the sun again. And your life will be transformed. But you gotta humble yourself. God doesn't He resists the proud, he says. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So this morning, whatever God's speaking to you about, whatever God's speaking to you about, I, I want to encourage you today to, to just meet with the Lord. And just, just give, a, give it to him and say, God, I need you to, to take this. I need you to give me victory here, Lord, because I am so far from you with the sin, God. The sin is, is hurting my relationship with you, and I, I give this to you now, Lord. I confess it. Lord, forgive. And for others in this room or watching online, maybe you have not yet trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus says that's the beginning point. You've got to come to the cross. That's grace and mercy all at the cross. And if that's you today, Scripture says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me if that's you today. And call upon him. You can pray something like this. Just pray Dear God, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. You died on the cross, you paid for my sin, and you rose again. And I trust you with my heart and soul right now. I invite you into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins today. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Father God, I pray you'll be with each person in this room, Lord, as we come before you and we repent of our sins, Lord. God, as we call the church to repentance, where we come and to walk daily in this repentance, Lord, we repent. We confess daily before you, Lord, of our attitudes, our actions. Our grudges, our, our misunderstandings, all the, the hurt, the pain, Lord, that we try to deal with in our own sinfulness. God, those things that so easily beset each one of us, God, we pray now. And God, as, the, as your people respond to you, Lord, I pray that you will do something miraculous in this town and in this world. Because these people, our, us as a people, will be closer to you than we've ever been as we discover. But... God, you are gracious, you are ready to pardon, you are graceful graceful and merciful, you are abounding in kindness, and you've never forsaken us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and be dismissed today. I want to thank you for being here, and uh, God bless you. You are dismissed.